If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. Coward in the service, he will find a place. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. When we get to heaven, brother, we'll be glad. Keep on the firing line. How we'll praise the Savior for the call we had. Keep on the firing line. When we seize the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the path of sin, with a shout of welcome we will all march in. So keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. You must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run, nor even lag behind. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. If you would win for God and the right, just keep on the firing line. Well, amen. I like that. I still remember when I sang that bass part. Unfortunately, none of you remember it. <laughs> he does a so much, so much a better job than I did, and I appreciate that. Boy, I tell you what, great job over there. I'm one of those guys that, you know, wants to be a bass real bad. Uh, you know, the bass singers always, you know, well, they just, you know, everybody loves a bass singer. You know what I mean? And uh, I'm not the bass singer, so, oh, well. My mom loves me, though. Yeah. <laughs> Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. How'd that make you feel? Remember when you was young and you'd say, man, I don't understand it. I'm just so depressed. Uh, you know, I've been, you know, I like this girl and stuff. And she says, Honey, listen, you, if she just knew who you were and how you are, she'd love you too. I love you, honey. That's all you need to know. You're thinking, I could care less right now. I, you know, I love mom loving me, but boy, I tell you what, I sure wanted a girl to recognize me, you know? Uh, so anyway, you know how moms are. You know, that's wonderful. Glad for moms. But you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You're so disappointed all the time because nobody likes you, I understand. <clears throat> mom loves you, though, brother. <laughs> yeah all right Luke chapter 5 verse 1 Luke chapter 5 verse 1 and it came to pass that as the people passed upon him to hear the word of God by he stood by the lake of Gennesaret saw two ships standing by the lake but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets and he entered into one of the ships which was Simon's and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. 
Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in, on, uh, in the other ship, and they, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished in all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, bless us in these next few moments as we, Father, consider your word, as we take time to, Father, glean from it and grow from it. Lord, if there be any that are, have yet to receive and accept Jesus, personally as their Savior and Lord. If there are any that have not at some point in their life recognized themselves in need of you, the Savior, Jesus, that they would settle that before the end of this service. And that, Lord, their eternal destination would be secure. For us that name the name of Christ, may our hearts be inspired and encouraged today. And may we, Father, love you more and be determined to live more faithfully today on your behalf. Well, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Prior to this event, as we read the passage in chapter 5, prior to it, Jesus Christ had been baptized by John the Baptist, and he had officially began his public ministry. He attends a wedding feast in Canaan where... Upon the request of his mother, he turns water into wine. His miraculous ministry has begun now. His fame has found itself spreading throughout the land like wildfire. He chases the money changers out of the temple in John chapter 2. And we read that his ministry is in full swing now. It is moving at lightning speed. In John chapter 2, verse 23, we read, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. I mean, Jesus had, uh, you know, turned his attention even to the woman at the well there in Samaria. I mean, she obviously was a very wicked woman who likely felt trapped in her sin. And yet, the Bible teaches us that in spite of the fact that her reputation and sordid past seemed to rob her of any self-respect and happiness, Jesus was willing to go out of his way to meet this woman. In John chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says, And he must needs go through Samaria. He made it a point to meet with this woman. Later in his journey, he would again meet up with a a needy person, a nobleman, the Bible calls him. In John chapter 4, verse 49 through 51, the Bible says, The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. 
The man believed to the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. <laughs> I mean, the child was healed the very moment that Jesus pronounced, Thy son liveth. He didn't have to be there in the presence. He didn't have to touch his forehead. He didn't have to pray over top of him. He simply said, Thy son liveth. The Bible tells us that Jesus performed a number of miracles. And so many miracles that the majority were not even recorded in the Word of God itself. We see that in Luke 4, 37. The Bible says, And the fame of Him went out into every place of the country round about. I mean, you could not go anywhere in that country, at least, that portion of the country, and say, hey, Jesus, they'd say, oh, yeah, we've heard about him. Oh, yeah, we saw what he did. Oh, yeah, we, his fame, had went into every place of the country round about. And Peter's mother-in-law fell sick, very sick, as a matter of fact, so sick that Jesus himself was asked to come to the house and heal her. In Luke chapter 4, verse 38 and 39, the Bible says, And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. As I understand that great fevers uh, certainly are a problem today, but may I say they were a much greater problem then. They didn't have the doctors. They didn't have the technology. They didn't have the medicine that we have today. And unfortunately, I get the impression from the passage that possibly her life was at stake. But Jesus shows up. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And the Bible says, immediately she arose and ministered unto them. A complete, miraculous healing. Now we find Peter and some of his friends fishing. They were fishermen by trade. And kind of like all of us, uh, under the right circumstances, we find ourselves wanting to go back what we are most comfortable with. And they were comfortable with fishing. That's what they did. All they knew about was this subject. He was an expert, this Peter was. He had been extremely successful, at least most of the time. But this particular evening, they had been out fishing all night long and have caught nothing. Their nets were empty. They didn't even have a nibble or a bite. I mean, they were just so distraught, so discouraged. Their nets empty. I mean, seasoned fishermen. Jesus sees them cleaning their nets. He goes to Peter and he asks him to launch out from shore so that he can effectively proclaim the truth, so he can speak to the people. He was being thronged by folks. They knew of him. His fame had been spread abroad. And now he comes and says, Peter, please launch out that I may speak to these people and not be overwhelmed by them. You know how it is when you're trying to talk to a group and they get so close to you that it just bounces off the first few people in front of you? Jesus says, no, launch out some. Give me away from them so that I can proclaim and project my voice and they can hear my words. And it's here that we pick up verses 4 through 11 of our passage. 
And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for the drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. You've got to understand that Peter had already seen the miracles. He had experienced the mighty ministry of the Lord. And yet after toiling all night without any success, Jesus shows up. And there Jesus speaks and instructs Peter to take those nets that were empty. The nets that they had already begun cleaning, mind you. And cast them into the deep. What a request. I mean, they had already begun cleaning them. Are you kidding me, Jesus? I mean, if you could have only told us to do that earlier this morning. I mean, we've been up all night. We've been fishing all night. I mean, who knows how long they've been cleaning the nets, only to have to clean them all over again. Jesus, we're veteran fishermen. Jesus, we're not amateurs. Jesus, are you serious? Simon says, Master, we've toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Some commentators that have looked over this passage have implied or somehow given the sense that maybe there had been an exchange that ensued, that possibly Peter wasn't at first real happy with that situation, that he was a little bit, I don't know, this just doesn't seem right. I mean, I know what I'm doing, and if, it couldn't, if I couldn't catch them last night, when it's most probable to catch fish, when, it's most, when it's, that's the best time to catch fish, I don't think during the heat of the day that's going to be the case. But nonetheless, we know whether or not he did have an exchange of such, he did consent. In Luke chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, And when they had done this, had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink, began to sink. I mean, think about how hard it would have been to obey the Lord under those circumstances. Well, I know as we read the Bible, it's easy for us to say, well, obviously the Lord told him to go, you know, take out uh, into the deep and launch, cast those nets. And I mean, that's simple, right? That's easy. Wait a second. Remember now, they're the experts. These are fishermen from their youth. They have their own business and their business has been extremely successful. I mean, it's not like this the first time they've ever cast a hook. I mean, they know what they're doing. And so all night long, they've broke their backs trying to somehow gather fish, somehow to acquire a catch so that they could feed their family and meet the need of their home, and yet they had nothing to count for. Jesus just shows up and, oh, Peter, you know, just launch out so I can talk to the people. And then as the sun begins to get hot, and as any fisherman knows, that's not the best time to fish anyway. He says, now, Go ahead and launch out in the deep and 
cast those nets. Well, that would have been tough. Peter, I mean, of all people, having already attended the school of hard knocks and graduating from the do- with a doctorate in fishing. Jesus is saying, go out there in the heat of the day and cast the net. Peter could have reasoned, you know what? We've already tried that. You know, we've already cleaned the nets, Jesus. If we couldn't catch them at night, then how do you expect us to catch them in the heat of the day? But the Bible says, nevertheless, Peter obeyed. Now, think with me if you would. I mean, how many times have you and I sat there listening to a message preached from the Word of God? I mean, we're talking about the... I mean, stop right there for a minute. The Word of God, okay? And, and now think about what I'm telling you. How many times have you and I sat listening to the, a message from the Word of God? We're talking about God's Word. That means that Jesus Christ is speaking. How many times have you and I heard His commands and still found ourselves consulting human logic, trying to convince Him and ourselves, that's just not practical to obey at this point. You ever been there? Well, I know what you're saying, Jesus, and I understand what you, I know you mean well, but come on now. I mean, I, I wasn't born yesterday. And this just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And as I reason it out, Jesus, I'm not convinced I ought to step out by faith. Have you ever been there? I have. I mean, how many times have you been confronted with His Word only to find yourself convincing Him and yourself? It's, I don't know if I ought to do that. And you know what? All of us have been there at some point in our life. We've all been there. So why don't we obey God? Why don't we obey God? Why, why do we hesitate? Why, why don't we just jump in with both feet? Why? Well, there's little doubt that there are some that choose to disobey God because of rebellion in their heart. We understand that. I'm not going to obey God. And that's final. We understand that. Some are just downright defiant. Yes. But you know what? I'm convinced that in many cases, it's a matter of not trusting Him. I'm not convinced that it's always just simply, I won't obey God. I'll do my own thing. I don't think that's normally the case. At least not with a people like you and a people like me that truly, I believe, want to do something. We wouldn't be here if we didn't want to, I mean know more about Him if we didn't want to please Him in some way or another, if we didn't want to somehow get to know Him better. But hold on, why is it that even people like you and I, that name the name of Christ, you and I who have possibly been in church for weeks, months, years, how is it that we will not obey God? Is it just that our heart is that hard, that cold, that obstinate? I don't think so all the time. i got to believe sometimes, I believe probably more than not in a crowd like this, It's simply that we fail to 
trust him. A number of years ago, there was a police officer who attended our church. And uh, he invited me to ride along with him one evening. Now, I, I consented, and honestly, I, I vividly remember him driving over to the house. He picked me up at home, and immediately, once I came out the house, he said, Now, hey, listen, preacher, uh, you got to put on this flak jacket. It's, it's Kevlar. you got to put it on. And I said, oh, okay, all right. So, of course, we had a hard time fitting it on me because I was so bulky and muscular at the time. <laughs> but we finally made it fit. Had to stretch a little bit. I'll be honest with you, as I kind of took my seat in the car, I, I, at first I was a little nervous, you know, putting that jacket on and thinking, man, why in the world? I mean, we're... Hardville, Uniontown, dude, come on. He's like, no, really, you have to put that on. I'm wearing one, too. And I got, wow, that kind of made me a little nervous. And so as I sat down in the car, I, I got to admit, I was a little nervous, but, you know, as I got there in that car, I started looking around me. And it was interesting. I was surrounded by bulletproof glass. I was surrounded with heavy gauge metal and steel. There was a shotgun. It was visible. It was, it was strapped to the dashboard of the car. There was an impressive array of radios at his disposal, as well as a personal firearm that he had right on his side, right there. And you know, an awareness of all of those resources at his disposal be honest with you, kind of put all those natural fears to rest in my life. I started thinking, wow, even if someone shoots at me, I mean, I got bulletproof glass. I can lock these doors and it's so reinforced with steel, they're going to have to use a bulldozer to get me out of here. And man, even if they do get the door open, there's a shotgun there. He's got a gun on him and he's got, I'm thinking, well, I think we're okay here in Hartville, Uniontown. But you know, it's in that same way that the answers for the fears we experience in times of crisis in our lives, that increased awareness of fear and trepidation and concern, and it's, it's, in, it's those same types of answers that help us to trust God. See, what I mean by that is when we have an awareness of the nature of our God, as we begin to see what's at His disposal, then all of a sudden we go, uh, I feel a little more comfortable now. I feel much safer now. I believe I can trust Him. People say, you know, I have a hard time trusting God. Again, the truth may be that they're refusing to trust Him because trusting means giving up control of their own lives in some area. That's, that's possible. Yes, we know that. But I do believe that even that is often rooted in a deeper problem. See, I'm convinced that the reason many 
have a hard time, quote, trusting God. They, they don't trust Him because they don't know Him. Let's suppose that a man you never met before approaches you at the mall, and there's not too many malls left anymore. But you go to the mall, and, you, and, a, and a man approaches you you never met before, and he says, hey, uh, listen, um, will you loan me 50 bucks? And, it, you know, uh, listen, I'm going to pay you back. Just, you know what, give me your name, your address, and your phone number, and I'll gladly repay you when I get my paycheck in a couple of days. And the fact is that no matter how compassionate of a person you are, you're probably not likely to give him $50. And you're even less likely to give him your information because you're kind of afraid of what he might do with it. The simple fact is we don't trust people that we don't know. We don't trust people we don't know. What if, on the other hand, a man stops you and and it's somebody that's extremely close to you who you respect greatly. I mean, this person has just absentmindedly forgotten their wallet at home, and they say, listen, if you have, if you have $50, uh, you know, you know, could you loan me 50 bucks for right now? And you know what? If you had the 50, you would likely loan it to them because they've proven themselves trustworthy in past dealings. I mean... He's consciously shown that you can trust him. You've experienced that he's always had your best intentions at heart. He's always dealt with you in a proper manner. He's always been a man of integrity and character. Therefore, you have great respect for him. And you know what? You'll loan him the 50 bucks. Why? Because you really know him. And you can trust him to pay you back. The fact is that many of us have to admit that often we have a hard time trusting God. And the reason is, is because we really don't consider him trustworthy. You know, to us, he may look more like a wolf among the sheep, making life miserable for us than the good shepherd who's willing to give his life for us. In our particular passage, Peter, he was asked to do something that seemed illogical, and it seemed absurd in his mind. I mean, no veteran fisherman casts his nets in the heat of the day, especially after he's been up all night long toiling, especially after he's already cleaned his nets. But Peter had to ultimately trust God before he would obey him, huh? He had to trust him. Then. He and his companions had mustered up every bit of past experience, but now they're being told, disregard your past experience. Disregard your know-how. Disregard common sense. Disregard the fact that you're tired, worn out, and weary. And simply trust me. (laughs) 
And this is where you and I struggle often. I believe that Peter had seen and experienced just enough to obey the Lord. I I believe that. I mean, he had heard how Jesus turned the water into wine. And he had seen his mother-in-law healed. She had this great fever, and yet all of a sudden, he simply speaks, and she is fine, and she is serving. And he says, wow, this Jesus, there's something unique about this man. There's something different about him. He had watched as multitudes benefited from the master's ministry, healing the lame, the halt, the blind. He had observed the miracles and noted the power. He knew Jesus a little bit, just enough at least, to say, you know what? I think I can trust him. He had learned something of Jesus. And in knowing him, he felt he could trust him enough to cast the nets. In this case, net. Even though he'd fished all night. Even though the nets were already clean. Even though he himself had a doctorate in fishing. He could obey Jesus because he trusted him. So this is our dilemma then. Too often the preacher's asking you to obey someone you really don't trust as much as you need to. Why don't we trust him as we should? Here it is now. Because we really don't know him. You know, if we really knew him, we would be able to trust him with any of life's situations. If we really knew him. You know, you know how it is. Too often we feel that our heart can't rest till we know some things. We really can't be patient and wait on the Lord. We, we, we really struggle and we need to take the bull by the horns. I mean, we, what's the result of the test? What will the result of that test be? I can't rest for a moment. I can't, I can't relax. I can't fr- not fret. I can't stop worrying. You know what the reality is? The Bible tells us we're not to fret and we're not to worry. And that's Jesus speaking. And he's telling us, don't fret, don't worry. And yet we do. Why? I believe it's because we don't really know him. Yes, amen. I'm not saying, well, you say, well, that's just natural. It's just, yes, it is natural. And it is normal. Just like Peter would have said, it is natural to, to fish at night. It is normal to clean your nets in the morning. It's not natural to cast in the midday. And yet Jesus asked him to do it anyway. And he did it. Why? Because he trusted Jesus. He had known enough about Jesus that he was willing to take a chance on Jesus. I'm not sure of what he expected. I don't know if Peter was all stern. Oh, if he tells us to do it, fellas, let's go on out there. No, he said, nevertheless. Nevertheless. All right, Jesus. I got to believe that he did struggle with that. I got to believe that in his humanity... Peter the way he was, always having some kind of confrontation, always being a little bit out front, more so than the rest, probably said, nevertheless, I'll do it. I'll do it. Boy, when he got out there, he was glad he obeyed. But he knew enough about Jesus to trust Jesus and to obey Jesus.
We've got to know whether our spouse is faithful or not. We just can't live until we know. I mean, we've got to know whether our teenager is doing drugs or not. We just can't rest one moment. I mean, we just, I mean, whether our investments will be there when we retire or not. How am I supposed to relax? How am I supposed to rest in the, the present cultural situation we find ourselves in, in this, the, the political economic system we find ourselves in? We have no guarantees. And I just got to worry and fret. And you know, you know what our problem is? We don't know him. We don't know him. Because we don't know him, we can't trust him. And because we don't trust him, we can't obey him. And won't. It's not a matter that our hearts are so cold and hard. It's just that we don't know Jesus like we ought to know him. And as a result, we can't trust him. And because we don't trust him, we won't obey. We won't cast out. Christ is unlimited in His power. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He's unlimited in His power. Is anything too hard for God? And we go, no. But yet when we respond to His commandments, we say, I've got to hesitate. I've got to think this through. I've got to weigh it out. Why? Because we question his power. His ability is in question. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. i got to figure it this way. If God could create the universe, if God could create this celestial globe in which we live, if God could put mankind on it, if God could put the trees and the, the, the flowers and the sky in place, if God can do all of that, He can meet my needs. But hold on. We know this to be a fact according to the Word of God, but we do not feel it to be true. Can I trust God with my finances? Well, yes, as long as I can get a better job and as long as I can do this and as long as I can do that. And it's up to me that I have to provide and I have to do this and I, I can't rest. Why? He's not big enough? He's not strong enough? He's not capable? And now listen, I understand there's some things that we have to do. We understand that God's not going to do everything. I'm, well, Lord, go ahead and just take care of me and my family. I'm going to watch TV all day. No, that's not what we're talking about. But God is unlimited in His power. This is the God we serve. This is the God we love. This is the God we know. He's unlimited in His wisdom. Romans chapter 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He has boundless wisdom and knowledge. And yet when it comes to a situation where the unknown exists, we struggle on trusting God with it. God says, do this. 
or wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And we go, I can't wait. i got to do something. I can't leave it to chance. Who asked you to leave it to chance? God's wisdom and God's knowledge is at work. God knows best. But we don't know him enough to trust him. And because we don't trust him, we can't obey him. You know that Christ is unlimited in his love? In John, 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He loves you. And He has unlimited power to sustain you. And He has unlimited wisdom to instruct and guide you. And that's true in my life. And yet I will confess to this morning that there are times in my life I may question God's word and I may question his directive in my life. And when I do that, it's simply because I don't know him like I ought to know him. And because I don't know him like I ought to know him, I don't trust him like I ought to trust him. And because I don't trust him, I choose to disobey him. And boy, that's a bad place to be. Because then we get the fruit of our own labor. Then we reap what we sow. Then we land where we have leaped. You like that one? I just made that up. I like that one. <laughs> you know, he's stronger than any police officer. He's wiser than any professor or theologian. He's more loving than any mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. It's important today as we close that you and I take the time to get to know him better. That's really the key. Someone says, well, I've got to recondition my mind to obey God. I've got to clean it out. And yeah, you do. You got to purge yourself of those thoughts and sin. But hold on. Let me tell you something. You need to know him He's the solution to your sin. He's the solution to yourself. He's the solution. It's, it is not as complicated as we make it. We need to know Him. And as we know Him, when He speaks, we will trust Him. He's trustworthy. And we'll say, I don't understand it all, Jesus. I don't know why you're asking me to do that, but I trust you, and because I trust you, I'll obey you. I'll let the chips fall where they fall. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. To be yoked up with the Master... To permit him to bear the weight of our burdens is so much better than to try to pull the load ourselves. His yoke is easy. My burden is light, he says. I wonder today, have you found it hard to obey the Lord? You're struggling with 
obeying Jesus Christ and his word? Are the things that you know God is asking, telling, commanding, directing that you've dismissed in your life because you have reasoned out that it would just be totally and completely irrational for you at this point? It makes total nonsense at this moment that it would only cause destruction in your home, your marriage, your family. It would only create division. And I can't trust him now. I can't. Get to know him. That's the answer. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm not going to tell you you're such a wicked, sinful person. You're just like the rest of us. We're all in the same boat. But let me tell you something. The problem is you don't know him enough. You don't know him well enough. And if you did, you'd say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. And it seems like it's going to be a mess if I do what he says. But I will trust him. Daniel, we just talked about it in the singles class, was told you will not pray to any other God but except the king. And so any other petition raised up to any other God but the king will land you in a pit with lions. I'm sure Daniel could have reasoned why it would have been better for him to simply shut his window and pray. But he knew he had to leave it open as he had done aforetime. And every morning, every noon, and every night by God's directive, he pointed his face to the east and cried out to his God. And even though he was told you can't do it, he said, I've got to do it. Because I know the God I serve. And he's a good God, a gracious God, a mighty God, a powerful God, a loving God. I trust him. Even if it's to death, I trust him. And he obeyed. And it landed him in a lion's den. And he could have easily died. And God would have been justified in his death. But instead, God graciously and miraculously delivered him. I don't know how your situation will end if you simply obey, if you simply trust. But what I do know is this, it will always end better. So get to know him. And then when he speaks, you may have hesitation, but you'll say, as Peter said, Nevertheless. Nevertheless. All right, Lord. I'll do what you say. Are you saved today? How well do you know him? Do you trust him enough to obey him? Are you lost today? Maybe you've never personally invited Christ in your life. Maybe you've never recognized yourself in need of a Savior. But may I say, 2,000 years ago, He died for you and paid for your sin. If you'll just come to Him humbly and say, Lord, I deserve hell. I know I'm a sinner. I know it as sure as I'm sitting here. I need you to forgive my sin. I can't do it myself. I know no matter how hard I try, I'll still be the same sinner I've always been. If it isn't one thing, it'll be another. Oh God, I need you to wash me and cleanse me, forgive me, and ultimately give me a reservation in heaven. I don't want to be in hell. I want to be with you. And I want to honor you with my life. Oh, God, help me. Forgive me and save me. Won't you trust him today? Won't you receive Christ even this morning before we depart? In just a moment, the music will play. We'll stand to our feet. You'll have an opportunity to respond. Please obey him. Trust him.
know him enough to say, I will obey him. He speaks to my heart. He is trustworthy. I'm just going to obey him. Let's all stand to our feet. Father, we come to